Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Eye Sports Podcasting Network. We are brought to you today by Bet Online. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you to you for joining us on this episode of the show, one where Fred and I will be thankfully talking about the last dance. It has been brought up from June, it's been brought up to April. I'm sure everyone's tuned into the first two episodes now and just about pretty much every NBA podcast that exists out there is probably talking about the same thing. Fred and I wanted to do the same, obviously, given that this is a Chicago Bulls podcast. And Frederick, I am I, I can't wait to have this discussion with you today. Oh, good. I'm eager to have it too. I mean, uh, I, I've, I've had very few experiences in front of a TV like that. Uh, that was yeah. really... Uh, what a what a great opening salvo from uh, from the last dance, and uh, I, I'm sure you're excited to talk about it too. I am, mate. and I mean, I'm I'm excited for a number of reasons. One, because of, of of the content that we just you know got to got to witness. It was two hours of the best TV I've watched in a damn damn long time. So from, just from a pure you know TV watching experience, it was amazing. But just thinking about it, how it sort of re- relates to us more specifically as Bulls fans and. I don't know. I had the the ability or the self awareness to to realize that this has probably been the best couple of weeks as a Bulls fan in a long, long time, <laughs> and it's going to continue for the next few weeks as we sort of go through the the remaining episodes of this docu series as we as we proceed towards the episode ten. But I mean, last time we spoke, and last time we spoke to the listeners, we were, we were speaking to TJ McBride about a, a tourist kind of show was coming on board. And the fact that guard packs were out and, and all the changes that were happening to the current day Bulls and how for a long time the Bulls fan base were, was unified in, in how we were feeling and how happy we were. But then to sort of follow up all that to now where we're sort of talking about already living the Jordan days, the dynasty days, the last dance, Doco, it's just it's just so good. It's 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 great. The only thing that could ruin this is if uh, 
you know, the next uh, five weeks uh, ends and Jim Boylan's still the head coach of Chicago Bulls. That's the only thing that ruined <laughs> it for me. But because, I mean, you got to you got to purge people from the organization like Jerry Krause. You just have to. And, you know, the thing is, it's been with me for so long, 20 years, and watching it again, I keep on telling people like Fred, you know, you, I remember all those titles extremely well. You're probably, you know, little younger than me do you remember it at all do you remember their titles at all or is it where, where do your memories start for the beloved bulls mark yeah so it's interesting for me because i think my experience is most certainly different to yours for, for a number of reasons one i'm a little younger well a lot younger let's, let's be honest yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but five or six years younger yeah, no, no. 50. Um, but <laughs> apart from that, I think obviously being on the other side of the other side of the world, I mean, I think that gives me a bit of a different experience or I experienced it differently than what you and a lot of people obviously in Chicago or even the United States did. And for me, you know, if we're talking about sort of 97, 98 during that run, I was probably 10 years of age. So I was young. So even if I was based in, in the, in, in the US, I probably wouldn't be able to consume it or remember things like the way I do with the current day bulls. I mean, that's just, that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. But yeah, a lot of my following of that era I did during the time I wasn't into basketball like I am now. I mm-hmm. probably caught one or two games a week well, that, that they were showing in Australia, but obviously the internet wasn't what it was uh, back then as it is today. So following the team on a day-to-day basis wasn't really possible like I do now. So a lot of my reliving of that time, I've, I've, well, that's, that's the key word. I've had to relive it because I didn't necessarily get to experience it in, in, that, in, in that specific day and age until probably five or six years later when the internet picked up. I was getting a little bit older and I was able to fully invest myself into it. So it was probably around the 2002, 2003 period where not only was I sort of delving more into that Krauss rebuild and that specific era of Chicago Bulls and following that on a day-to-day basis, but I was also at, probably at that time able to catch up and find out w- what the dynasty meant. So mm-hmm. reliving it in 2002, you know, trying to, you know, constantly reading about it and reliving it since then and doing so now, it's, it's been an experience. I think what's a little bit different for me and some fans that are older that can remember, you know, I remember when Michael was drafted, I was a child, but you know, I was the excitement that came and almost immediately thereafter. And for a city that had such a loser reputation for almost two decades, he like overnight transformed it into, you know, the, the, the capital of the sports world, really. He's the biggest, he was the biggest thing uh, outside of Muhammad Ali, probably uh, to that the sports world had seen. And the thing that also I think people forget is, people that really loved the Bulls, we, we kind of grew up with the team in that uh, it was, if you go back to 1987, 88, the Bulls lost to the Pistons in the conference semifinals four to one. The next year in 88, 89, they got to the conference finals and lost four to two. The following year in 89, 90, they lost four to three. How many organizations or teams in today's world would be allowed to go three straight years losing to the same team? Every year getting a little bit closer, but can you imagine the frustration, manage, imagine the anger uh, across the fan base? I don't even think it would be allowed, you know, and with the transit and then still remaining the three major players was, you know, Michael, Scotty and Horace in that, in that ascendancy. And I hope they really go over that in the, in the next, uh, in the, cause you know, Scotty really grew up through that. Um, you know, so you kind of grew up, you love this team, and then overnight he wins the title. They they win four over against the Pistons, four over against the Pistons, Pistons. They start winning titles. And overnight he transforms Chicago into this city that was 
basically associated with Al Capone, a complete loser, and in a city of losers, over into a city of championships in six titles over eight years. It's really hard to describe the transformation I saw. Yeah, I mean that's that's the part I'll just never get to to live and feel. I guess the what it must have been like to to be watching this, re- recalling you know you as a fan at that time, obviously witnessing it live, going to games. I mean, seeing Michael Jordan in person is something that I can never do. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that aspect of it is just something as a fan that I just can't ever recall or can't ever get back like that experience, which sucks in a way. But I'm thankful at the same time that we do have the ability to. Uh, to catch up on, on on that sort of stuff, and I guess you know, memorize or, or just go relive it all because that that that's why this has been such a an important documentary for us Bulls fans. That that ability to relive it all and just go into the details that of some things that we may or may not have already known. I think a lot of us probably who have done our research, me for example, but maybe less so for you who's lived through it, but. We, we sort of know the main talking points that we went over in episodes one and two. And, and obviously, uh, as we sort of go forward, I'm sure that will be the case. But there, there was some details throughout the first couple episodes that I wasn't familiar with and probably more so in the Scotty side than, than the, the, the Jordan side. Obviously, there's been a lot of work done in terms of who Jordan is and who he was about his career. There's been a lot of tell-all stories from a Jordan perspective that we have access to, but it's probably more the Scotty stuff that were more, was more of a revelation to me. I don't, I don't know if it was for you, but just that detail that we are getting now whilst at the same time getting to see film footage of, of just Michael Jordan and Scotty Pippen play basketball at a time where there is literally no basketball being played. I mean, yeah, it's just so, it's so refreshing. It just feels so good. So, I mean, watching this again, though, it was bittersweet because it brought back all that pain and agony I had to feel every offseason where my friends and I were just debating whether or not they were going to come back. There was always a contract issue with either Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson, or Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen was complaining about his contract. There was always some kind of off-court drama that really – it did. I, want, I don't want to say it ruined it, but it definitely uh, left the experience it, – it, it, it hurt the experience. It should have been a celebration. There was always this in the background, this noise in the background that was considerable and painful. And uh, it really it just hit hit you in the first two episodes. I mean, were you aware of this? Did you understand uh, all? Did you have any idea like what was going on in the background with this at all, Mark? Or is this news to you? So when I was experiencing live as a kid internationally across the world, it was probably stuff that I vaguely, very loosely knew about from like a headline and maybe reading a couple articles here and there. But in terms of getting into the the dynamics of it all or understanding it from a cap perspective or understanding what other options were available, uh, that stuff I had to learn over the years. And like, for example, the, the understanding the, the cap manications of, of – 1997 or you know 1994 or 1995 all those years when they were potentially thinking of trading scotty for whoever it may have been at the time those sorts of things i had to learn in years after and understanding how the cap worked then understanding who was available understanding the free agency rules understanding there was different cbas at that point so that inner detail is stuff that i probably didn't know at the time that i've learned over time but even now watching the first couple episodes now i'm still learning stuff like even in preparation to the last dance, the fact that they would have to, I read an article that Jordan was close to going and signing with the Knicks. And that was probably something I didn't really fully appreciate or understand probably before last week. And maybe other fans had a different perspective on that. But the fact that Scotty 
obviously felt the way he did for so many years about his contract. But even Jordan, the, the way the Bulls sort of dealt with Jordan's contract status throughout the years, it's, it's just... It's just a bad reflection on on the two Jerry's involved in here, and to me, they were probably more so Kraus, but less so Reinsdorf. But Jerry Kraus was most certainly painted as the villain in episodes one and two. We can discuss whether that's fair or not, and I want to get into that in a bit more detail. But to me, watching back episodes one and two, and you have I, you and I have done this, and we didn't really want to record straight after the, after watching episodes one and two because it was just so much to digest that you and I wanted to watch this back a million times, and we've done that since since it aired. We've watched it back a few times, and I, every, every time I've seen it, I just can't get past the idea that Jerry Reinsdorf just allowed all this to happen. I know we can talk about Jerry Krause and all that he did wrong and right, but the fact that Reinsdorf sort of just allowed all of this to sort of just happen under his watch, I just I just can't get past that. I agree with you. Uh, I, I, part of me also says, well, at least he 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 did it. He did some efforts. I mean, there, there was a story that came out today that uh, with Tim Floyd, where Tim Floyd did an interview for an ESPN outlet in Louisiana, that Jerry Cross wanted to break up the team after the seventy-two and ten season, after their fourth title, hmm. and they actually met. Uh, Jerry Reinsdorf met with uh, Tim Floyd in Seattle about the head coaching position. I mean. To just think about that for a second, how mind-boggling that is. They just had 72 wins, and this jackass Jerry Krauss wants to wants to break up the team. It's it's nauseating. So to Reinsdorf credit, he stepped in and made sure it didn't happen. They won Title Five, and he came back one more year, and they won Title Six. Um, but I agree with you. I think in the end, what should have happened is what happened to every great champion, whether it's Muhammad Ali, whether it's the New England Patriots, whether it's the, the New York Yankees. You you go out on your shield. Nobody goes out on a win and acts like, oh, this is the greatest thing ever. It's it's a tragedy to me that the Bulls didn't have a chance to go for number seven in 1988, 98, 99. Wennington was on the radio this morning here in Chicago, and the question was posed to him, could they have won in that strike-shortened season? He said Yes, yeah, they could have. Rodman said the same thing, and I believe it too. I think they could have put it together for one more run, and to lose out on an opportunity for that and get 13 wins, you know, to to satisfy this G- GM's ego, it, it's nauseating. And in the end, it comes down to this: it was more, it was cheaper, far cheaper to be loyal to Jerry Krause than it was to be loyal to to, to Michael Jordan. If you're going to be loyal to Michael Jordan, it was going to cost a lot of money, probably what between 30 and $40 million for Michael, uh, a lot of money to Phil Jackson for a year, and a lot of money for multiple years to Scottie Pippen. It was a lot cheaper to take a full house for the next five years with 19 wins per year and a young team under Jerry Krause, and I think that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, we, we we can defend Reinsdorf for making the, the decision to step in, in after 96 or stepping in after 97 and saying, as long as Jordan's around here, then we're going to go for title number six, even though Jerry himself sort of suggested that, you know, within the first few minutes of the documentary, I was already pissed off at Reinsdorf because he was sort of suggesting that they were considering blowing it up after title five. And obviously they did that after after title six, but... He ultimately chose Jerry Krause over Michael Jordan, over Phil Jackson, over Scottie Pippen, over the entire dynasty. I mean, the fact that those three in particular, not to mention all the other role players that sort of exited the franchise thereafter, the fact that he chose Jerry Krause and enabled that rebuild at that point, to your point, without allowing the team to sort of just fall on their sword naturally. I mean, the rebuild was always going to be there. It was always an option. The 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 decision to 
get ahead of it and maybe trade a player once they still had some value rather than losing them in free agency or whatever it may be or you know they naturally retire whatever it might be you're not not necessarily recouping that full value of an asset I, i understand the pure theory of it all but at some point you just have to you just have to write it out and live live through it all and <laughs> the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf to this day picked Jerry Krause it, it, it is mind-boggling now obviously we know that the the rebuilding years with Krause didn't go to plan and maybe if a few things break a little bit differently maybe if Tim Duncan signs here maybe if Tracy McGrady signs here maybe we're thinking about Jerry Krause a lot differently but facts being what they are it Jerry Reinsdorf picked Jerry Krause and we entered into five years of terrible Bulls basketball. Yeah, but they were never going to sign with him just because of that reason because they did, quote-unquote, Michael wrong. That's fair. Uh, Dwayne Wade brought that up in 2010. Kevin Garnett brought that up in 2020. That sin continues. The ramifications for that sin continue to this day. And I, and I, I that's why I, I, I have him a little bit. Uh, I feel for John Paxson what he had to endure in that, you know, that – a lot of those being a GM and getting those guys to come here in 2010, he was, I think that stuff hurt them. It, Dwayne Wade said it. So, you know, um, that's something that will never be erased until, you know, probably until Jerry Reinsdorf no longer owns the team. I, I will say things are definitely turning better, you know, with his son, who seems to be more, uh, definitely you know, a little bit more eager to change things up and to look in a new direction. And, and I, everything I've heard about him has been fantastic, but you can't argue that that had just disastrous ramifications. Nobody was ever going to sign here with Jerry Krause. The guy was just, he was almost a psychopath to me. Like the more I read about it, he just had serious personality. He had serious, a serious personality disorder. And uh, a lot of the people who I know who worked with him didn't like him for that. I'm sure at some point he was nice to his family and to, and and he was a nice guy, you know, personally, it, you hear various things, right? But overall, if you're in that job, you cannot, you have to find out, do whatever it takes, even if it means resigning, to make sure Michael Jordan does not leave and end his career in Washington. It's just, it's a, it's a disgrace. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole Krause discussion is fascinating in a lot of ways. And I mean, Bill Wennington said it that, you know, Jerry Krause was a really nice guy. So it, it ultimately comes down to your interaction and relationship with the person to for people to cast judgment of, of whether this person was good, bad or, or otherwise. And I know Scotty and Michael probably feel a lot differently, maybe Phil too. But there are clearly people that, that uh, had positive relationships with Jerry Krause. But I, I guess the sucky part of it all is the fact that He's being painted as a villain, and I know a lot of fans listening to this may already or feel that he is, and I certainly understand why he is that, and I'm not necessarily suggesting he's not. I don't want to come across as defending Jerry Krause at all, but it kind of does suck that he isn't here to maybe tell his side of the story if there is anything necessarily to tell, but it would be good to understand his perspective a little bit more. I think that was interesting as well, watching this back and watching back those old clips of how candid he was in those, you know, those uh, those media discussions or those those footage that we did have of Jerry Krause, like how candid he was about uh, Phil Jackson. Basically, this is his, his final year. He's not coming back and actually going out and saying that in public is just kind of crazy when you think about today's game. Like that is nothing that would ever be said ever, even if that's actually what's going on in the background. The, the, the way he was so openly discussing Scottie Pippen's uh, contract, the fact that they were openly shopping Scotty Pippen, you just don't hear that language used, that candid use of the, the way he candidly speaks or spoke to the media. You, don't, you just don't witness or see that anymore. So that to me was quite illuminating as well. But I, I don't know. Like uh, this was always going to happen, given that Michael Jordan has creative control over this project or this docu series that we're watching. But 
Jory Kraus was always going to be painted as the villain, which we look fair or otherwise, it, it is what it is, but it, it does kind of suck that we don't get to hear him or to get, don't get to see his input into it beyond obviously the the archive uh, archival footage that we have available to us. I, I highly doubt he would even participate in yeah, and, maybe, uh, in, maybe you know, in, 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 in retrospect, you look at his career, he, he had, he was GM for almost two full decades and the two best moves he did by far were acquiring Pippen on draft day and drafting Tony Kukoc in the second round. Horace Grant draft pick. I spoke, I spoke with Horace Grant before Bulls Outsiders gig for two hours, and he admitted that Jerry Cross did not want to draft him. Doug Collins wanted him, and the staff wanted him. They went directly to Reinsdorf over Jerry's head. Reinsdorf spoke with him. And, you know, to his credit, Krause did officially make the pick for, for um you know, for Horace Grant, but if, if Doug Collins wasn't involved, we would have had Joe Wolf. And then you look at Rodman. Rodman was a no-brainer. You traded Will Purdue for Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman had just burned every bridge he had ever made in San Antonio. He was considered unmanageable. No coach would have ever, uh, you know, tied their tied their fortunes to Dennis Rodman. He took off his shoes during a playoff game. It goes on and on. Google and look at it, the adventures of Dennis Rodman in San Antonio. But the weight of Michael Jordan's reputation and Phil Jackson, as a great coach that he was, were able to rein him in and bring him in bo- on board. So all the heavy lifting was done by Michael Jordan, Phil Jackson. That move worked out because of those two, not because of Jerry Krause. And then you just look at all the picks that this guy had, Brad Sellers, Mark Randall, Byron Houston, uh, Dickie Symptoms, Jason Caffey over Michael Finley, Corey Benjamin, Marcus Pfizer, Dalbor Bagheri, Eddie Curry, all number one picks. The guy fell flat on his face. And in my opinion, there has been no one more overrated. I'm, I'm almost embarrassed to say on that number seven list that I didn't put him as number one. I should have done it. <laughs> See, I'm prepared to give Jerry Krause far more credit as a general manager, as an influence on this this whole dynasty than what you, you are. And I understand why you have this venom towards him. And maybe it's going back to what we sort of spoke about before earlier on in terms of how our... Bulls fandom was shaped and the ability that we had to, to live through it. So maybe my experience is a little bit different to it, to, to yours. And I wasn't sort of in the coal fire there, living in Chicago, experiencing it on a day-to-day basis like you were and like how you were explaining, just, just wondering if your favorite team, you know, that the team that had Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Phil Jackson, whether that was going to be blown up for some odd, strange reason. Like I, I didn't experience that, so maybe my perspective is different. But I'm, mm. I'm prepared to say that Jerry Krause was a great GM, and whilst also prepared to say he was a crazy man that made just some epic, disastrous decisions. I think, I think there's there's room for both, both things to exist, or both narratives to exist. And obviously, we're getting the picture at the moment that Jerry was the villain in all this and again not not surprising based on who was involved in producing and making this documentary but I, th- I think there is some room to suggest that Jerry was was a really good GM he was influential in building this roster obviously walking into a team that has Michael Jordan it's a lot easier it's a lot easier maybe to build with with a team with Michael Jordan than obviously without but I think it was still it was still something that Jerry deserves credit for, I guess, is my point. And I just yeah. don't see how you can make that case when you consider that the team with after Michael Jordan left averaged 19 wins over five seasons and was by any measure an unequivocal uh, disaster. Because I just I, don't see you can I, make that. I think that. it's possible to to separate things and compartmentalize things. I think, I mean, guard packs are exiting right now. Obviously, we have 
well, maybe not, maybe not less so you, but m- for me at least, I don't have fond memories of the Garpax era over the last sort of four <laughs> to five years. But in saying that, despite my uh, intense hatred for what has sort of transpired over the last few years, I still have the ability to recognize that through 2003, maybe up until t- 2011, 12, there was a lot of good there. So I-, I think you can sort of do both things. You can say, all right, for this period of time, Jerry Krauss was really good. Thereafter, he made that epic decision, the, just a disastrous decision to blow it up. Obviously, in, uh, in, enabled it to happen, uh, or Jerry Reinsdorf enabled it to happen. But thereon, that obviously completely fell over and it was a terrible experience for everyone involved. So I think we should be uh, have the ability to sort of recognize that there was two different uh, errors, two distinct versions of Jerry Krause as a GM, and one he was really good at, and one obviously failed, uh, uh, failed just you know mi- uh, miserably. So I don't know. I, again, maybe my experiences uh, growing up through all this may maybe allows me to view it from a different perspective. But I, I understand how you feel the way you do, and I understand why Jerry Krause has been painted as the villain that he is. But in saying that, I I, I also do think that. You know, what was quite revealing as well is that Michael Jordan, I mean, building a team around Jordan, despite him being obviously the greatest player of all time, which all of us listening to this probably uh, agree with, I think there's probably not a general manager or an owner out there who wouldn't have clashed with Michael Jordan at one point in time. And I I go back and I'm saying this because in episode one, the first episode was about Jordan. The second episode was more so about Scotty, but... In episode one, we, we go back to 1986 where Jordan obviously has that foot injury, misses most of the season, comes back on a minutes restriction, obviously wants to come back and start playing as much as he can. But uh, the Bulls are trying to, uh, quite unquote, let's say they were trying to tank at that point, which kind of makes sense. But obviously, <laughs> Michael was uh, had had no, wanted nothing to do with that. And from that point on, that's probably where his relationship with Jerry Krause started to fracture. So... Whether it was Krauss, whether it was someone else, it was probably always going to be difficult to manage Jordan just because of his insane will and his insane drive to, to play the, the way he did and compete the way I he did. I think there's a massive difference between you know trying if, – if that game wasn't to make the playoffs, I'd understand it. That game was to try to make the playoffs. Uh, it's, it's not comp- remotely comparable to trying to, to me uh, – you know, to tank because the Bulls had an opportunity to make the playoffs. You should always try to make the playoffs. It's my general opinion on everything. I had no problem with them in 16, 17 trying to make the playoffs. You know, I think it's always better to, you know, get that experience that Michael got. And that in retrospect was absolutely true. I've heard people try to argue otherwise. I disagree completely. That's part of what made Michael Jordan 86 Celtics. Most people would argue one of the best teams of all time. Mm-hmm. He threw 49-63 on them, and the legend started building from there. Yeah. You know, it was clear. You know, so, I mean, without that, I don't think if you didn't have that series, who's who's to say that, you know, everything else would have happened after it? Probably, but you never know, right? You know, if we – I don't know. It's a tough argument. I mean, to me, big picture – I always go back to this Rolf, uh, this uh, Emerson quote, which I love, Rolf Waldo Emerson. And one of the things is, what a success to laugh often and much to win the respect of intelligent people and the affection of children, to earn the appreciation of honest critics and endure the betrayal of false friends. Uh, respect of intelligent people. You look at the people that were talking about Michael Jordan last night, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, and, and just, just the quality of individuals that went on and on about Michael Jordan. What was the best thing said about Jerry Krause? I think it was Bill Wennington said he was a nice guy. And nobody else believes that. You know, he might have been nice to Bill. 
you know, that's all you need to do. That's all you need to say. All you need to say. I, I agree. Michael was probably uh, unfair and, and, and vicious to him. What the heck is Kraus doing on the bus anyhow? What who, what GM rides the bus with the team? That was part of the problem, part of my anger with this whole thing. Why are you doing putting yourself, inserting yourself in with the team like that? That doesn't happen. No other people acted like that. He had this sick, pathetic you know, he was uh, the fat, short kid in high school, got probably picked on, and he desired to be a member of the team. And, and you know what? To his credit, he did a good job, at least for the you know building a championship team. But when Michael left, I think we all saw his true colors. <laughs> we, we're clearly not going to agree on Jerry Krause, which is fine. <laughs> not. But uh, look, on. in saying that, I want to continue talking about it. And, and, and the reason I say that is because the Krause-Jordan dynamic is just going to be clearly based on the way it's been set up in the first two episodes. It's going to be a dynamic that sort of plays out through the entire narrative of this series. But I want to talk more about it. But before we do, I want to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor, Bet Online. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they are bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? Then no problem. Bet Online has live, daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can also still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even Nathan's hot dog eating contest. All of that is open 24 hours a day and is all online. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. All right, back to the podcast now. Clearly, we've been talking about Jordan, about Scotty, about Jerry Krause, and who, who in fact is right and wrong? And I think, Fred, this is probably the most interesting thing or the, the biggest reflection I had after watching the first two episodes. And I dare say this is going to be a continuing theme throughout the rest of the series. But depending on how you look at it, it, it kind of feels like there's enough blame to go around for everyone. Maybe less so on Michael Jordan. I, I think the way this document, a uh, docu series, is going to be painted, it, Jordan's going to come away come away looking pretty damn good. Whereas uh, maybe that's not necessarily well, the case for others. And yeah, he, he, he should. He should. And we, I mean, we were talking about 1986 and, and the fact that he wanted to play. The fact that the Bulls wanted to maybe keep him out or keep him his minutes low, trying to protect their asset and not necessarily risking his career, but depending on the lens you apply or whose perspective you're looking at it through, I kind of, I understand why certain things happen the way I do, they did. Like from a Reinsdorf, Jerry Reinsdorf perspective, from a pure business point of view, I understand why he didn't want to play Michael Jordan in 1986. I understand why Jerry Krause would be mad to find out that, you know, Jordan was out of, or back in North Carolina playing an hour and a half that day, despite <laughs> doctors telling him maybe he shouldn't be <laughs> just um, just being a complete so maniac. So I understand why Jerry, as from a Jerry Krause perspective, why dealing with Michael Jordan would be completely difficult. But as you sort of alluded to before the break, I completely understand from Jordan's perspective why why playing was the right decision as well. And, you know, thankful he did because we got to saw what he did against the Celtics in the playoffs in 86, that obviously the 49 in game one, and then to that epic game two in 60, that the 63 point performance, which you referenced before. I mean, I'm glad he did all that, but yeah, I just held this overwhelming feeling that 
there's enough blame to go around, whether it's Jerry Krause, whether it's Jerry Reinsdorf, even Scotty Pippen. And maybe we can transition to talking more about Scotty. But I mean, Scotty doesn't sort of escape the, um, the any criticism in these first two episodes, particularly episode two, where it was more so about Scotty. I mean, he didn't come away looking that great from that from that episode either. Well, I remember that season, and I, and the the biggest shock of the whole evening for me was the revelation that Scotty admitted that he delayed his surgery. Yeah. Um, because there was a lot of, I, I remember that summer, I remember a lot of talk, there were whispers, and it was all denied. It was, uh, you know, that was a serious, if, if that would have been known publicly, that would have been the second biggest blow to Pippen's reputation in the city. Of course, you go back a few years later, and I don't think you can comprehend how big it was when he set out that 1.8 seconds in 1994. I mean... I remember how furious I was. There were a lot of people just, just absolutely furious. And if Kukoc doesn't hit that shot, he's no longer on the team. The way it was, he was traded that summer to the Seattle Supersonics. I'm sure you listened to that episode for Sean Kemp. But um, that was later nixed by the owner in Seattle because the fans didn't want Scottie Pippen. Um, you know, So his reputation, the, the one thing that bothers me in all these years is I think there's been this kind of bizarre effort to minimize Jordan a bit by glorifying Pippen and asking and kind of portraying him as more than he was. Like, I love Scotty. He was a great player, but he wasn't a closer. There's a massive difference. And even B.J. Armstrong alluded to this in a recent interview I saw. There was a reason Phil Jackson asked Tony Kukoc to shoot the last second, uh, shoot that shot against the Knicks in 94, because Scotty didn't have that gene. Like, there's a gene, the ultimate closer, the nervousness that you have in a game that occurs when you're playing in the final seconds of a game, it helps you on a defensive end, it hurts you on the offensive end. So there's guys that can perform when it matters most that have the ability to control themselves, like Michael Jordan did better than anyone else. I thought Ben Gordon, you know, Tony Kukoc. And there's guys where they just don't. They just don't perform offensively. Carl Malone, great players. Don't get me wrong. I'd include Scotty in there. He had opportunities against the Suns in 93. You, you go back and you think of Scotty's career here, very few times, and people will, I'm sure, argue, well, that's because he didn't, you know, he was on the same team with Michael. Michael took all those shots. Yeah, there was a reason Michael took all those shots because he was good at it and Scotty wasn't. Um, you know, so I'm, I don't want to dismiss him because defensively he was absolutely you know, pro- arguably the best perimeter defender of all time, and he was extremely important for us to win titles. But he didn't have that gene. That's why the Bulls didn't win in 94, uh, 93, 94, and that's why the Bulls actually did do incredibly well in 97 and 98 without him. That's another thing that bothered me about the doc yesterday is it made it sound like they started out horrible. Yeah, they started out 4-4. Four and four. They didn't do great to start the year. But before Scottie Pippen came back on January 10, uh, 1998, the Bulls won 12 of 14 games. They had a nine-game winning streak at one point. They were playing very well without Scottie Pippen. So, you know, people might want to make the argument they could have never won one without Scottie. I don't believe that at all. I think if they did make that trade with Sean Kemp, Sean Kemp was a force of nature. I think the Bulls with Jordan Kemp, I think Jordan would have come back with Jordan Kemp and Kukoc would have won titles. Maybe not three, definitely two. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, it's an interesting what if, and we we can play those what if games throughout the entire series. I mean, we, I mean, going back to when Scotty signed that deal, which was like a key impetus or a key driving storyline through episode two, that Scotty was mad for so long because of that deal that he sort of signed that he he actively signed, so he has to own his own his own participation in signing that contract. But still, I understood why he was disappointed in all that. But if we're talking about what ifs, 
I'm assuming Scotty signed a bigger deal in 1991, let's say, or whenever he was up for an extension or assuming the Bulls gave him a renegotiation and an extension in 95, then the, the outlook or the, the makeup of the team changes very much or very, very much so that maybe the whole dynasty conversation that we're discussing is completely different as well. So, I mean, Jerry Krause absolutely signed Scotty Pippen to an amazing deal to the point where that deal was maybe too good and I don't even know if we're talking about a second three-peat like we are if Scotty Pippen is uh, signed to a different deal. Maybe we are because, to your point, maybe they trade Scotty for someone like Sean Kemp or someone else. And like in 97, the rumors were Tracy McGrady. Do they win in yeah. 96? Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Maybe they're better positioned after Jordan uh, to have Tracy McGrady around. And obviously, the Bulls tried to sign him in 2001, 2002, whatever it was. I can't remember now, but... Yeah, it's just it's just a fascinating to play all these what if games based on all these fork in the road moments during this ten or eight to ten year period throughout the uh, the nineties through the through the dynasty days. I mean, it's it's just fun to relive it all. But like I said, Scotty doesn't come away looking good in this for the first couple episodes. And again, to me, there's enough blame to go around. I understand from Scotty's perspective why he would be pissed off, why he was annoyed at Reinsdorf, why he was annoyed at Kraus. I completely get it. But then at the same time, I was also thinking, well, Scotty, you were complicit in signing that contract. You didn't necessarily yeah. need to do that. I understand why he wanted to, but I mean, he, ultimately, he still signed it. Like You've got to own it too, which he, he does. But to, yeah, to me, I, I, I guess the overwhelming feeling was I just can't blame one person. I, it's interesting because I agree with you 100%. I see both sides of that one. Like, uh, I, I felt like they probably should have maybe around 96 or so said, hey, you know what, how about we, we tear this up and we'll do another three-year deal where we'll give you considerably more money or something to that effect or even an extension. But I also understand, you know, they took a chance in saying that deal. I think Pippen had some back issues when they signed it. Long, You know, there is a give and take for long-term security and, and, you know, so that's a tough, it's a real tough thing. I, I understand though, the thing that really I was kind of shocked at is Jordan, Jordan was angry about it. And I understand why, like Jordan was underpaid for a tremendous amount of years when they won 72 games, he w- he made like three point some million dollars. Yeah. He wasn't the highest paid player in the league. It, it's, it's outrageous how, how little he made in those years. Now, yes, true. He made it up in 97 and 98 by making you know, over $60 million. And I, I, all these people are throwing this stuff out here like, well, yeah, he had all those endorsements. He made, that's where he made his money off, his, off the court. It doesn't matter. The Bulls were paying him $3 million. They won 72 two games. Yeah, Pippen, like Pippen didn't have any endorsements. Yeah, nowhere near what Jordan had. But basically the point was Jordan played out his contract. He didn't complain. And then he realized at the end of the road he was going to get a big paycheck. And he did get that. I think he expected Scotty to do the same. Scotty did get a big paycheck, and to the credit of the Bulls, they did do a sign and trade they did not have to do, and they did make sure he got more money, and he made you know considerable considerably more. Really nice contract for the time, uh, and I I think that's what Jordan was kind of hurt by. He thought that Scotty was being selfish here when you know Michael didn't have any more years left. He was older than Scotty, and he felt like he should have played you know, kind of did things a little bit differently in that final season. You'll see as we get closer to the end of the year, you know, Scotty, he missed two huge free th- free throws against the Indiana Pacers in game three, which a huge loss. The Bulls could have gone up 3-0. 
I didn't think it was a shining year for Scottie Pippen. I thought that Michael did most of the heavy lifting that season. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But, yeah, I mean, even Jordan said as much. Like, as much as Jordan made it very clear that Scotty was his favorite teammate or his best teammate of all time, that he even said that when people mutter the words or mutter the name Michael Jordan, they should be saying Scotty Pippen as well. I mean, that's not a direct quote, but paraphrasing there. So he was effusive in his prayers for Scotty Pippen, but at the same time, he expressed his disappointment at Scotty for being selfish. So, uh, yeah, coming back to what we were saying before, there's plenty of blame to go around, but it, it, it was just it was just fascinating. Like That was the overwhelming thought that I had watching those first couple episodes. But, yeah, I, I just keep coming back to the fact that Jerry Reinsdorf allowed this all, all to happen, and he could have renegotiated with Scotty Pippen. I understand that he said, don't come back to me in a few years' time. Yeah, I understand that um, you know Jerry said that this isn't maybe a good deal for you, Scotty. But at the same time, you have to have the self-awareness as an owner that this is obviously clearly affecting Scotty, but maybe more importantly, more importantly, it's affecting affecting Michael Jordan. So uh, it, the, the self awareness from Jerry Reinsdorf maybe wasn't there. Maybe that's because he was too focused on baseball, whatever it might be. Who the hell knows? But yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised they they played it out the way they did with Scotty from a contractual standpoint, based on what they did with Jordan. I mean. They made him work for his extension, not not his extension, but his new contract. The, the years where he was signing those thirty million, thirty million one year deals. I mean, they made Jordan go out there and sort of find a deal where they had to sort of match or beat an offer. I mean, like I said before, there, I I wasn't maybe as familiar about this, but there was periods there when sort of Jordan was thinking about signing with the Knicks, which again, a complete insane what if, but. It, it, it could have happened if had the had the Reinsdorfs not sort of uh, stumped up and paid him thirty million or whatever it was. See, I wasn't aware of that. I still haven't heard that that article you're you're referring to, and I definitely was not aware of that at the time. Yeah, look, I found this. I was reading a um a Jack Silverstein thread on Twitter. Actually, I think that's where I saw it. And I'm pretty sure it was an article on the Tribune from Sam Smith at the time. I I could be mistaken. Maybe I'm. Maybe through uh, the, the frenzy of sort of consuming all this content over the, over the last few days that I'm sort of muddling up a few different things, but I'm pretty sure that's what I read. So if that's the case and that's the way they're sort of treating Michael Jordan, just having him doing one-year deals for uh, you know $30 million, obviously we know the situation with Phil Jackson and the fact that he was on one-year extensions because he and Krauss obviously clearly didn't see eye to eye. If that's happening with Phil and Michael and you know those two guys are sort of tied together, then we shouldn't be too surprised at the way this whole thing played out with Scotty, uh, the way it did. And I completely understand why Scotty would be pissed off from that perspective too. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, in retrospect, it's such a such an amazing time in Chicago history because the whole city came together following this team. And I, I, I compared it to the Beatles. Like I, I make, you know, the Beatles were my favorite band of all time and when they broke up there was all the drama around it and everybody was like oh it was great they finished on a high note and i always was like no it wasn't it wasn't remotely great in fact it sucked like the all the beatles solo stuff if you would have put it together and took off all the fluff and put it on one album with the best of the the four produced it's still far greater than the sum of the parts like that's what should have happened with this bulls team they should have been at least given one more shot to win number seven um, and, and, you know, eventually go out the way they wanted to. It's just disgraceful. It's, you still come back to the fact that Michael Jordan finished his career for the Wizards. It, that's appalling. How it can is, it happen? Uh, it is. And look, we'll, we'll probably learn more about this in the next upcoming episodes, but the fact that the man retired because there was 
obviously not an opportunity to come to back to Chicago. There may not have been a, a better opportunity elsewhere. And who knows if he even wanted to go elsewhere after after 98. But the fact that you sort of punted the goat out of the door and didn't really give him an option to extend his career or to go out the way that maybe we're talking about here, even if it was losing in, in 1999, who knows if the team comes back off in, in the way same way it did in 98. Maybe it's a different looking team. Maybe Scotty's not there. Maybe Dennis isn't there. Maybe Phil's not there. Who knows? But assuming assuming Phil and Michael are there, like why the hell would you not run it back? Why would the hell would you not just, even from a pure business standpoint, like why would you want to rebuild at that point rather than sort of banking those checks that Michael and Phil and even Scotty will bring that franchise to the day that they sort of are no longer there? Like why would you expedite that process of getting rid of them? And that is just something that I'll never be uh, fully too able to comprehend. And maybe hopefully we'll learn more about that as we go through this uh through this series. Like, who cares if the team's 500, really? Yeah. Like, I don't care if they're they're sixth, seventh seed, eighth seed. At least the team is – you mean to tell me you think the, the United Center will not be selling out? It's like – it's insanity. It's insanity when you look back at retrospect. I know why he I, – I really believe deep down if you asked him why he did it, it was cheaper to go with Jerry. Oh, for sure. You know? Yeah, for sure. So, it's, which it's, is sad. It's insane. It's insane. But I guess my the last thing I wanted to note, Fred, and, and again, like I mentioned before, the – the overwhelming takeaway for me was there was plenty of blame to go around. But the other thing that stood out to me was this, the the dichotomy of player empowerment in today's NBA versus what it was like back then. The fact that, like we sort of alluded to, Michael Jordan had to go out and potentially earn himself a $30 million deal elsewhere or you know a, a nice fat extension from the Knicks or whatever it might be or a free agency offer, put that on the table to the uh to the Bulls to get his thirty million or whatever it might be, the fact that Scotty, Michael, even Phil Jackson, the, the little power they had over Jerry Crown uh Jerry Krause and Jerry Reinsdorf compared to so the, the the power that Kevin Durant or LeBron James, these type of players have over their franchises right now. I mean, the fact that that has changed so rapidly over the last twenty to twenty five years, it's it's kind of insane to think that the greatest greatest player of all time had he clearly had power, but just nowhere near the same amount of power that today's player has. It's 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 in, it's insane watching him back. It is, and it definitely leaves you thinking that players of today definitely have a lot more power than even the greatest of all time ever did. Yeah, it's you nuts. know, can you imagine any of this going on with LeBron James? No. <laughs> Remotely, like <laughs> imagine this story now, where there's a GM or whoever it may be. You know, saying, telling the, you know, and LeBron wants this guy as, as his head coach saying, uh, no, I'm going to bring in this other, you know, cartoon coach from uh, Iowa, Iowa State to come in to coach yeah, the team. It doesn't happen. It, it, it's, it's insane <laughs> to contemplate that. Uh-huh. You know, like it's like, so, um, you know, I guess all this happened to probably change sports for the better, better, I suppose, but. Yeah, it just still breaks my heart. I, I view the whole thing as a tragedy in retrospect. I know the Bulls won titles and that was great, but it should have never ended like that. Yeah, it's, it's it's weird. Obviously, look, now, I think it's fair to say that it's, maybe it's a good thing that Michael Jordan didn't get his way every time because we know how bad he maybe was as a as an owner or as an executive in terms of making his own assessment of player personnel. Jordan wasn't that great in that, so maybe uh, it was good to have some someone like Jerry Krause around or whoever it might have been to maybe say no to Jordan on certain decisions that he maybe would have made if he had more control like someone like LeBron who himself has made some bad decisions during his time or during his career but at the same time thinking about the the control and power LeBron has which he should have given the amount of uh the amount of uh I guess from a pure income perspective or a pure 
business perspective, the amount of wealth that he sort of brings to the game now versus the the little power that Jordan Habak had then, it's, it's, it's just weird and it's just funny to see how it all sort of all looks now versus then. But uh, Fred, I think we've gone on long enough now about the uh, first couple of episodes. I am... I can't wait for the next episodes to drop, and I'm assuming they're going to be probably more on featuring Dennis Rodman and, and Phil Jackson episodes three and four. We'll see how it all plays out, but I'm loving the fact that we don't get to consume this in, in a binge quality as well, and then the entire world or the entire sporting world or basketball world is sort of converging on a week to week basis, consuming this on that week to week basis as a monoculture. I mean, it's just I, I really am thankful for that. I'm glad it's not a binging experience. So. I can't wait to talk to you next week about episodes three and four. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm really glad that this has been kind of an educational experience for a lot of Bulls fans out there to see what this was like in the city, you know, and uh, it was really a special time, but also bittersweet, obviously seeing the disaster that allowed a, a short man's ego run wild. <laughs> I mean, look, there's no way I'm going to be able to convince you that, <laughs> Jerry Krause. I mean, you're you're clearly uh, in lockstep here with Michael that Jerry Krause was the uh, the villain, and I understand why. But maybe maybe that changes as we go through the next episodes. Knowing how stubborn you are, probably not. But um, not, nonetheless, I look forward to talking next week, my friend, about this. But um, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for the listeners for tuning into this episode of Bulls HQ. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Obviously, Fred and I are a little, probably a day late getting to our thoughts around this. But like I said from the top, we wanted to digest this again and again. We didn't want to necessarily come straight after and just give you our thoughts straight after because to be honest with you, I had my mind was all over the place after the first couple hours of watching this. I wanted to watch it again. It went so fast reviewing it in time and, and I'm glad we had that extra day to sort of digest it all. But hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Bulls HQ. We'll be back next week to talk about episodes three and four. But more importantly, hopefully all the listeners of this show, your friends, your family, you're all staying safe out there and we're hoping that this... The last the last dance docu series has been a um a welcome a welcome reprieve from all the stuff that's going on at the moment. So hopefully you're enjoying that. Hopefully you're enjoying this episode of Bulls HQ. We'll be back next week. Speak to you then, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.